Hi, I'm Amanda Fay. And I'm Sasha Kuznetsov, your host for Educational State of Being podcast. Our vision is to explore different topics and trends relating to education today by inviting in guests and experts in the field to share their experience and expertise. You may have noticed that being is spelled a little bit differently in our podcast title. Well, we both have a shared passion for coffee, just like many other educators. So every episode, we're going to devote a few minutes to banter a little bit about coffee. In our episode today, we'll be exploring the theme of relationships matter. A big part of this is our relationship with ourselves and how we show up in the world. Well, to be honest, Sasha, a big part of how I show up in the world has to do with coffee. First, I drink the coffee, then I do the things. Mm, I want to hear more. <laughs> Tell me more. What's new in your world of coffee? Well, I had a Keurig, and my Keurig broke, mm. and I felt bad about the impact on the environment with the little K-cups and the Keurigs, so I decided to invest in a French press instead, Okay. and that's been... Oh, the coffee's just so much better. It's so much better, but I bought a bunch of coffee at the store yesterday, and... I went to make a new cup of coffee this morning. I was so excited. I had this new like hazelnut French vanilla flavor and I accidentally bought whole bean coffee and I don't have oh, a coffee no. grinder. So okay. I was a little disappointed this morning. <laughs> Guess what? What? I have a coffee grinder for you. What? <laughs> yeah. All right. My coffee grinder is no longer being used at home. Okay. Did you buy a new one or what? Uh, no. Here's why. I'm actually uh, felt bad about the wasting uh, in the goes into environment from the Keurig caps. And I was like, what else can I put in there in my Keurig machine and not be as wasteful? So uh, the, the tea bags are going in there and they make a perfect cup of tea. So I'm switching from coffee to tea. Whew, that's a big, like, but like, I can see that. Like I drink tea occasionally, but like no coffee, like you're, you're off the coffee. I am off the coffee. This is my third week of oh off the gosh. coffee and tea, no caffeine tea. No caffeine tea. No caffeine tea. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And you're pretty healthy, so you don't drink soda or anything. So you're no caffeine at all. No caffeine at all. Wow, good for you. Yeah, we'll see how it's going to go. <laughs> good for you. I mean, if you're three weeks in though, that's, that. what do they say? I think 21 days to make a habit and 7, 14, 21, I mean... Yes, I am. I'm there. Pretty much there. I'm there. I think it's a habit. And I actually opened a, a, just a big world of variety of teas. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still looking forward to my favorites. Huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, I like them flavored. But I also like just a, just a regular tea. Yeah. Green tea, yeah, black green tea, tea, non-caffeinated. Oh. Um, yeah. So that's my coffee story. So... I'll I'll give you my I, I still have some probably coffee beans too okay. that I can give away. And I mean I accept. Mm-hmm. I won't, I don't say no to coffee. Yeah, they're good <laughs> coffee. They're good coffee rosters. Yes, and and the grinder. So okay. yeah, you can well, have thank it all. You. Yeah, yeah, I'm enjoy it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to give it away. So I'm like done. Because <laughs> so I, I would drink it if it was that. Yeah. If I still had yeah, coffee I beans and coffee, I would totally drink yeah, it. Yeah, I don't want to see it every morning. <laughs> It's all yours. It's all yours tomorrow. Oh, my gosh. That's so funny. There we go. All right. I guess we better dive in, right? <laughs> yeah. We, do. we got off topic. All right. So, yeah. So, I would like to introduce our guest today, Flint Sparks. Uh, Flint is a Zen teacher. His work is profoundly relational. It is in the service of growing up and waking up, the two strands of personal and spiritual development. 
in what we, he calls the double helix of maturity. As a Zen teacher, he is a clear and caring resource on a path to freedom from unnecessary suffering, and he seeks to soften barriers to love. He has over four decades of experience in practice and teaching of psychotherapy. Making his home in Hawaii, he now leads retreats worldwide. All right, all right. Hi, Flynn. Finally, Sasha. Greetings. Yes. (laughs) Good. Sorry, a little technical glitch there. (laughs) No worries. This is Amanda. I'm here too with Sasha. Um, I also work at the middle schools. Thank you so much for joining us. Of course. It's a pleasure. I'm glad that we were able to do it today. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the sun's out by us, but we just recently got like two feet of snow. Um, I hear that you. I hear that you live in Hawaii. What's the weather like by you? Yeah, it looked pretty intense up there. We're having a chilly day. I have to wear a sweater. It's uh, 66. Oh. <laughs> 66 sounds like I could I could be by a pool. <laughs> right, right. And I'm getting, uh, I'm putting on my sweater because it's a little chilly. The sun's not out right now. It's a little cloudy. So, <clears throat> Isn't that crazy how the human body adapts, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, I don't know if we've told you this before, but our, our podcast, um, that we've been working on is called educational state of being and Sasha and I like to spend a little bit of time, every podcast talking a little bit about our shared love of, of coffee, which now is Sasha's love of tea since he gave up caffeine. Um, are you a coffee or a tea drinker yourself at all? I'm a tea drinker. I, I can't drink coffee because it's too, a little too strong for me. I, I don't, I like the taste of it, but it's um, a little hard on my tummy, but I do drink tea. And so I am aficionado of wonderful uh, Japanese green teas and also some uh, Chinese black teas. Mm. Mm, we got to get names. <laughs> I was going to say, I think Sasha might need some names from you. <laughs> oh yeah. There's a, uh, <clears throat> two of the ones that have a strange name. One of them is called golden monkey and another one's called Yunnan gold. Uh, which are both Chinese, um, they're beautiful, beautiful teas. I'll make sure I give you a link to that. Yeah. And, and then some of the sinchas, which are very classic, clean yeah. green teas. Uh, there's a couple of them that I, I also order online so I can get them um, fresh. Nice. It's quite nice. So I'm, I'm actually drinking one of those now. So. That sounds oh, perfect. Nice. Good. All right. Yeah. Um, We're having coffee or tea together now. <laughs> there we go. Yes, that's a, that's a tea conversation. Exactly. A coffee conversation. Well, uh, Linda, if you don't mind, I uh, would love if you could explain to our listeners a little bit more about that double helix of maturity, uh, waking up and growing up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a, a model that I like to use because it seems to be um, a way to access things that can be a little complex at times, but in a, a simple way. Um, as the human organism matures and grows at all, all different stages, there are various strands of development that are happening simultaneously. And two broad ones have to do with um, ordinary human development, like every teacher or counselor would, would pay attention to, uh, early child development, and then on to, to grade school and middle school, where things get really turbulent <laughs> um, in development, and on into adulthood. And often people think of that as um, 
the whole arc of human development once we've uh, grown into adulthood. But of course, we begin to know that actually it doesn't stop. There's a way in which our capacity to unfold as full human beings uh, goes well beyond just the body developing, intellectual development, and even emotional and relational development, all of which can continue to mature uh, as we grow. So that's kind of the, the growing upside. But there's also a waking upside, which is a strand of spiritual development, which is a way of understanding the larger context in which everything is happening, the sort of big picture. Uh, the way I functionally speak about it um, sometimes is based on the two main areas that I've worked and studied and taught in. Um, I've been a psychotherapist and teacher for 40 years, and I'll notice people who are psychologically quite astute, very, um, have a lot of insight, and utilize psychological mm -hmm. principles to make great changes in themselves. Um, but they get stuck in loops of self-identification and self-reification, which they don't seem to be able to get out of, like endless self-help, endless okay. problem-solving. Um, if they don't have a, a non-dual practice that can help them step back even further, then uh, at the same time, I've spent years in monasteries and temples where I've trained as a, a Buddhist teacher and student in which I see people who understand um, the Buddhist practices uh, and the teachings, which we call the Dharma, and can teach them and express them beautifully. But when they sit in meditation and deep things arise inside of them uh, based on their own psychological condition or even trauma, they have no idea what to do with it. And just sitting more in meditation doesn't help. But if you put these two things together psychological insight and some of the practices that come with that, spiritual insight and practices with that, then they together link in this double helix of maturity. And actually, uh, most religious or spiritual practices are geared to helping us cultivate a f our fullness as human beings, not to leave the human realm, but to immerse ourselves deeply in it and find um, relief and freedom there in our life, as our life, not away from it. So I hope that gives you at least a broad scope of what I'm talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Um, so you talked about your yourself and your position, you know, as an educator. And, um, you know, the majority of our listeners are fellow educators. And so uh -huh. this time of year, you know, around the holiday stuff, um, it, it can be hard to build deep relationships with students, especially if it seems that the student's not open to building that relationship. So sure. how, how would you, you know, advise that we as teachers can utilize this double helix of maturity to develop and build those deep relationships with our students? Um, that's a really big question. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll, I'll back up for just a moment to say that both of my parents were, were teachers. I'm, I say, I think I mentioned to Sasha, I, I measure my life in semesters instead of in years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my mom was a public school teacher and taught first grade for nearly 30 years and then other great um, elementary grade uh, until her retirement. And she was mm. actually the president of Texas Classroom Teachers Association. Oh, wow. State. My dad was a university professor later in his life, although he taught public school earlier. Um, and he ended up being then in our local schools, he was the president of the school board. 
and became part of Texas Association of School Board Members. So he and my mom were both instrumental in shaping education in the state of Texas. And I only say that because I'm proud of them as teachers. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I come from a good lineage anyway. Absolutely. But that doesn't answer your question, really. Um, <laughs> but it qualifies you. Yeah, a little bit. Um, holidays, of course, are stressful for everyone, I think, for a whole lot of reasons. Um, often because we're uh, involving ourselves in what is supposed to be a celebratory time with our families. But often when families come together, it's everything but celebratory. It's often complicated. And um, at a time when students are ready to uh, have a break, it's also hard to keep their focus in the classroom. I assume that's some of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know if there are other issues around that that, uh, are, that stand out, but I know that's unique. And this year's quite interesting, I think, because what Thanksgiving and Christmas are closer together. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's hard to get them like back focused again and the, the knowing they're just about to take off again. Um, and so the, um, I don't think I'm uh, as highly qualified to talk about specific techniques in the classroom because you're the ones who are there every single day. But there are three things that everyone wants in terms of relational development. And that is they definitely want to be seen and, and heard deeply. And they want someone to choose them and care about them in some way. Uh, and I think often kids in school may not feel that that's what's happening, not because teachers don't want to do it, uh, but I've also, because I've been around uh, teachers for so long, the demands of what you have to do in the classroom and everything you have to do around the classroom are so immense these days and complicated, at least that's my understanding, that uh, just the personal relationship with a student sadly sometimes often takes a tiny bit of a backseat because you have to do so much and uh, log so much and manage so much all around the actual teaching and the relationality that goes into forming a good student-teacher relationship. So I think the teachers get stressed on the one hand. The kids are you know, doing whatever they're doing to try to manage themselves, especially in middle school. My goodness, you have so many um, pulls and tugs on their minds and their bodies and their relationships um, that they're struggling. So just to be able to make contact, like get a, a kid's attention, and one that's not getting their attention to correct them or shape them or guide them or tell them what to do, but attention that lets them know you see them and to see that they're maybe having a hard time or that they don't know what they're doing. or uh, Because without having some a connection that's quite personal like that, the limbic system in the brain doesn't like lock in and then start to settle a little bit so that you can make some sort of change and through the relationship and it requires that. It's sort of like getting online like we were attempting to do. If you can't get the right link mm-hmm. to set up the right bandwidth, there's no transmission. And that's part of what you're trying to do. Um, and I, um, in the relationship, because everything else that's going to happen is going to be based on that. If mm-hmm. there's no if there's no connection, and every teacher is going to be skillful in a different way around that, because everyone has a different personality and a different set of um, 
methods that they use in connecting with their uh, with their kids. And this is the other thing that I think is kind of quite daunting, actually. If you're a teacher, you have to be an improvisational virtuoso. <laughs> you've got to you've got to learn how to play a different instrument with all those different students. Every every kid is different. Yes, there are universal things that that are going on, but um, what you're asked to do, moment to moment, child to child, task to task, is incredibly complex. But our systems as human beings, whether it's our sort of spiritual soul or our emotional and, and uh, cognitive self, these two strands, are all going to be regulated and come to a more centered place if we connect, because that's how human mammals do it. If we can get connected somehow and really see each other and hear each other and care about each other and even touch each other at times when it's appropriate, our system regulates enough that we can hear a message or offer one that's not a reaction, that's actually a communication. Um, but, but that's, you know, it's a fairly large um, realm um, here. We're talking about uh, communication styles. We're talking about interpersonal neurobiology. We're talking about development uh, of kids. We're talking about group dynamics. There's a lot of things going on to be what looks like, you know, a seventh grade teacher. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Flint, uh, I know you, you talked a little bit about the see the kids want to be seen and heard. Is there a, there is a research like recently, I know that the brain asks three questions, seven times a second. Yes. Yes. I yeah. use that in my teaching. You've heard that. Yeah. Can you, can you share it with our listeners, please? Sure. And that's actually what I'm alluding to, of course. Um, the three basic questions, and these are questions are, um, are signifiers for different aspects of um, prefrontal cortex function, really. Um, and so they're categories. The first category is, uh, are you there? Is there someone actually showing up? Are you, are you there? Um, the second one is, do you hear me or see me, which I mentioned. Mm -hmm. uh, the third one is, do you choose me? And let's look at this from a, a little bit more uh, research-based. Are you there is the question that the brain is asking to gain access to another. Uh, it's the foundation of attachment. And we know that secure attachment is the most robust predictor of well-being in children and adults that there is from psychological research, the capacity mm -hmm. for being securely attached. Um, and so the brain is always looking for that, um, looking for some way to be in connection with another. Um, and of course, uh, if you have a classroom full of children who have various forms of insecure attachment, because none of us are perfectly attached, of course, there's ambivalence and um, there's all kinds of concerns and uh, depending on the families and let alone the attachment troubles that teachers have, we, you know, we all have little vulnerabilities. I don't mean it as pathology, we just have struggles. But that right. first one is, can we actually be together and meet each other? That's number one. Number two, do you hear me? Do you see me? Those are the fundamentals of attunement. Do we actually tune in um, to hearing, seeing, feeling, intuiting, and expressing that intuitive understanding of another in some way? 
So attachment is in the first one. Are you there? Attunement is the second. Do you, are we communicating? Do you hear me? Do you see me? Do you get who I am? And the third one is, do you choose me? Which is really the foundation of the one we don't talk about a lot, which is love. Do you love me? Do you deeply, deeply choose me? Now, if you're in middle school, and I know not all your listeners are in middle school, but I know yeah. you, you're both teaching in middle school, right? Correct. Right. And, you're, and Sasha's a principal. Yep. Mm -hmm. In that developmental phase, you're dealing with kids that hunger deeply to form some identity that they can understand who they are. They want to be known, and they will not allow adults the satisfaction of thinking that you've made contact with them mm -hmm. uh, because there's this counter-dependent function that they're in developmentally or a pseudo-independence. They don't, they won't, I, I, some, I know it's an exaggeration, but I say sometimes those preteens and early teenagers, their function is to thwart every effort at uh, successful communication. You're not going to get the satisfaction of knowing that you got through. <laughs> You know, so you'll get through, but they're not yeah. going to give you the satisfaction of knowing that, you know, because they're, uh, they want to be known. They're just not going to give you the satisfaction of knowing that they're known. They're going to roll their eyes or they're going to do whatever. Yeah. Um, and um, they desperately want to be uh, loved, just not by you, you know, by whatever. I had someone the other day, literally, I, he asked his um, niece, I think it was, who was that age. Uh, he just said, how are you? A, a sweet, you know, inquiry at a family dinner. And she picked up her phone and looked at it and said, let me see. Oh. Wow. Huh. Like the number of likes and whatever it was she was right. accessing was her source of knowing. Mm -hmm. mm. It wasn't, she didn't respond in a reciprocal way to him mm. as an inquiry of how she was, which was startling on the one hand and deeply painful on the other. Yeah. Uh, to see, because we also have kids now, and it's unfortunately way before middle school, and of course way after, where people are using technologies, the interface uh, between these things that we're we're talking about, the, these things. Mm -hmm. And I've I said in a talk one time, it's a little clever, but it makes the point. I said um, <clears throat> a, a tweet is not a kiss on your cheek, <laughs> and an email. Is not a whisper in your ear. And a Facebook friend's invitation is not a warm, outstretched hand. In other words, all of these things are the way that we're connecting, but none of them are embodied. Mm -hmm. They're not the actual human thing that we long for. So then we wonder why people feel hungry and actually not regulated very well emotionally. Um, I, I had a, um, a young college student come to me recently um, who was you know, 18, just out of high school, and we kind of went around in circles. He couldn't really at first describe what was wrong, but he was clearly in distress. And finally, he trusted me enough to get down to it. And he said, the truth is, I don't know how to have a conversation. Yeah. Hmm. And it's, it's like, wow. Um, you know, they sit across the table and text each other. But to look into each other's eyes and have a to be intimate, and, and intimacy is the key here. All those three questions are all about intimacy. 
That's and true. you're dealing with kids who are at a time when they long for it immensely and have a hard time receiving the thing that they actually want. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're ambivalent about receiving it from adults because yeah. then they would really demonstrate their own vulnerability when they're trying to be in. So, you know, it's quite a struggle. So I'll have immense empathy <laughs> for um, what it takes. What I think on the teacher side is required is uh, almost a superhuman amount of patience <laughs> because yeah. you don't get the satisfaction and you just have to stay steady and know that it's going somewhere mm-hmm. and it's making some difference. Even if you can't see it, you're not going to get the satisfaction of them saying, oh, thank you very much. That really meant a lot to me. But you have to keep doing it because that's what you do. Yeah. It's almost like a, a vow that you've taken that you have to do under all circumstances, even when there's nothing coming back, um, because, because that's your job. And it will make a difference, and it does make a difference. And all of us look back at school and think of those teachers that just made an enormous difference in our lives. And often they were the teachers who weren't always the sweetest or the nicest. They were the ones who demanded a lot. Yeah, and I don't mean harshly, but called us forward in some way, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. because they weren't daunted, they weren't intimidated by the kids. They're like, "This is my job, and I care about you, and I'm not going to give you half measures." Um, and once again, improvisation—you have to meet them where you can, how you can. But there's something about that committed willingness in the face of not very much satisfaction which is really hard, but required. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's, it's almost like, yeah, and that's, that's the hard part is that delayed gratification, you know, because yeah. it could be 20 years from now that kid who is now adult is going to come back and say, do you remember me? And you really made a difference, but I didn't yeah. realize it until now. Right. Uh, and I know I was just a little, you know what, to you, but <laughs> right. now I realize right. how much. Yeah. It really meant to me. Yeah. 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 So, right. Uh, I was actually visiting with a couple of my former students uh, back in Russia uh, when I visited there a few years ago. Uh-huh. And that they, they said exactly the same thing. We were just thinking back about some of my colleagues when I was a teacher there. And, and they were telling me that now uh, they, they want me to know that the teachers that they like now thinking back are the ones who were strict and uh, yeah uh, and have higher expectations and wouldn't give up on them so right it was because and that's I not th- what they thought at that time no no little. because i think that they they can tell that they're seen and they can tell that you care that they you've chosen them because you're putting energy into them and their response isn't satisfaction their response is pushing back and, but that's the response. That's their intimacy right? at the right. time because they're not, they're not able to do the other kind of intimacy, at least not often, that, that they, they can feel you. They've met you. It, it may feel met. It's like something's hit, you know, landed. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. One of the things I wonder, too, is, you know, we talk about this and, you know, you say that the teachers really have to be, um, you know, like kind of always thinking on their feet and yeah. – um, I just wonder what what advice do you have? Because I think that sometimes as educators to show up and 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 be there for students 
you said that, you know, in waking up that you do see some practitioners who they, you know, bring up trauma or something in their own lives and they don't know what to do with it. Uh Um, I think like what advice do you have for teachers to, to kind of know and understand themselves so that they can show up and be present for their students every day? Well, you know, one of the things since students aren't always going to give you the satisfaction of demonstrating or reflecting back to you that you've been a great teacher, at least when they're in the classroom, teachers have to be that for each other. Uh, Social support is one of the greatest moderators of stress and trauma that there is. You know, having people you can talk to, lean on, be with. And so you're thrown right back into uh, the arena of vulnerability, uh, a place where teachers have to both on the one hand um, be professional and be upright and do their job, but it's not going to really help unless they are you're asking about, unless they can be intimate with each other and tell the truth and talk about what's going on. Um, I was in a school recently, uh, a large school, uh, it was a, a private school uh, in Dallas, Texas, and I was invited to join them for an in-service day. And they had brought in the poet, David White, to uh, talk to the teachers. And he w- his whole topic was, how to, as teachers, how to have courageous conversations. How to have the conversations that um, people like Brene Brown, for example, talks about uh, shame and vulnerability as the entry points for real transformation and growth. It's, mm-hmm. it's tough. Um, you can't just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't lean on your students for it. Yeah. Um, a lot of times the people at home, your own spouses and family members, don't actually get it. Not that they don't understand that it's hard, but it, unless you've been in it, they don't quite understand that. But another teacher will. Yeah. And to, and to go into the teacher's lounge and, um, well, my images of teacher lounges was when my mother was teaching when I was a little kid. So it was like in the 60s. So it was full of smoke. Not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, kind of wild to remember those times. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, teachers need some way to not just sort of complain, but actually support and care for each other um, because it's, it's a hard profession. And it's challenging. And the challenges are also the growth points, just like they are for the kids. You're going to become a better teacher. You're going to become a more mature uh, human being of greater integrity as you use the challenges to grow. But you can't do that alone. You've got to help each other. Uh, there are certain things you can do on your own, of course, but everybody knows what those are. Do things to relax. Some hypoarousal things, whether that's meditation, yoga, whatever. You need to do some exercise, some hyperarousal things like going to the gym, taking a run, whatever you do for exercise. And there needs to be interpersonal, uh, relational ways of managing stress too. These are the three, three big ones. And um, often we say, I don't have time. I don't have the energy or I don't have the resources to engage those things. Uh, but those are the things you can actually manage on for yourself, even though you don't do them simply on your own. Um, and, and those are essential things, really. It's like taking a vitamin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, I know to my way of thinking, 
I come first, then my wife, because if if I'm not if I'm not taking care of myself, and mm-hmm. I'm gonna be no good to anyone else around me. And, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. So that that's 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 a good point. Well, I and I'll tell you personally, Flint. My fear is, you know, I was reading in the book. Um, uh, you, I think I've heard it from you a couple of years ago. The Art of Community by Charles Morgo. Yes, yes. And it's so he, book. yeah, and he. So I was reading a book, and he speaks about how, uh, how can I be intimate in a true community and still belong, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, for me, in order to be going in a teacher's lounge and be uh, intimate, right, or vulnerable. Um, without fear of being judged and yes and that's i don't that's know I, i'm not sure if anyone's different from me but i know for me that would be the barrier absolutely being absolutely. intimate and also if you go into the teacher's lounge during the work day because you have a, a moment to spare you're not interested in opening to intimacy and have to go right back in the classroom true yeah it's yeah not, it's not really the best time and then what do people do? They go to happy hour and drink or whatever. Right. And that is a release, but it's not a relief. Mm-hmm. Mm. So the real question is, when and how do you make those things available? Often you have so many in-service things, but those are all required to do certain things that the state requires or, you know, whatever. Mm. And, and it's not really that, that personal. It's, it's a big challenge, isn't it? Right. And then and then how to find someone, even if it's just one friend with whom you can be a little bit vulnerable, where you're not going to feel like you're going to be judged. That's Mm -hmm. gold. That's like the biggest biggest thing. And you've uh, if I can say, you know, you've been Sasha, you've been in in, uh, retreats uh, with me in which intimacy opens quite naturally in those situations. And you can see how it can even in a a little bit of a public sphere, a little little group, uh, it can show up in a safe in powerful way. Yes. But that's also a facilitated container. Um, my question is always, how do we have those four teachers? Because I think we don't often have it. Even you're uh, creating this podcast, I think is an intention of, of trying mm. to offer something right. for teachers where they can realize they're not alone and they have um, someone who mm. is there, someone who hears and understands what they're going through and cares about them. Those three things. Your podcast mm-hmm. really focuses on those. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, so I understand like after, okay, this is what you can do afterwards. But in yeah. my question is that in that moment, right, in the moment where I'm asking a student to do something, right? They have some kind of expectations about their behaviors, yeah. right? Which mm-hmm. is a setup for suffering and disappointment, right? And, the, and the, how do I, in that moment, drop my desires and expectations and, and respond appropriately? Because I believe the best relationship is uh, between a kid and a functional adult or mm-hmm. awakened yes. Adult, not a friend, not a buddy, not that's right, that's right. You know, and it's not about what I know your favorite pizza topping or how was your weekend. Like, how do we go deeper? And then also in that moment, in that second, how do I stay present so I can respond? And it's life, life as it is, right? Yes, uh, yes. The only teacher. So, so what? Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, what in the moment? Well, you, 
Well, you're talking about an important tension, which is how do you maintain your role and your professional integrity and not sacrifice that to some pseudo friendly mm. thing, which isn't appropriate. Right. But, but how do you do that without being distant or cool, aloof mm. or authoritarian? Right. That's, that's a big challenge uh, because it's important to be intimate enough where the child can feel like you care about them personally, but you have to maintain your role those teachers that we talked about earlier that are that we remember and that we appreciate did that. Mm -hmm. And that's one yeah. of the reasons why they seem in our memory sometimes rather kind of strong or powerful, even a little tough, because they didn't give up their role. But in that role, you, we could tell they cared about us because they asked a lot of us. And mm -hmm. so in the moment, you're trying to navigate that all the time. How do I make contact with this kid in a way where they can feel that I'm here? Uh, and maintain my role and integrity as a professional. And, and then thirdly, underneath it all, how do I respond with all the knowledge and skills and experience that I have and not get caught in reactivity because they're going to poke around to try to find our soft spots that will react because mm -hmm. it throws things off. And um, that's the biggest challenge, isn't it? Not to go into some part of our personality, some manager part that's going to be reactive and stay in our true self and our larger, uh, more mature self. That's why we practice in these ways, psychologically and spiritually, <clears throat> pardon me, to be more mature so we can be a more clear source of care in that environment and not to get caught in reactivity. Because it's easy to be so frustrated that you become reactive and not skillful. Yeah. Or you get, or you get so tired, you feel broken down, so you're not skillful, and then therefore become reactive. We're just like the kids. If we get pushed beyond our everyday limit, we're gonna uh, regress to our least um, mature uh, coping strategy uh, when we're pressed. And so we need to make sure that we're filled up enough that we don't get there. Um, and in the moment stay awake to what's happening. And that may take a simple thing like taking a deep breath, taking a moment, uh, making sure we don't react quickly because we're gonna be invited to. That's gonna be the invitation. Because if we can be thrown off, then they can laugh at us and say, see, you're not, not so great, are you? <laughs> mm. uh, so we have to maintain that kind of uh, uh, upright integrity in, in the moment. And that's, I don't think there's any, you know, fancy tool for that other than the cognitive awareness of reminding ourselves, stay present, stay here, doing something embodied, like stay grounded, take a breath and stay focused on what's an appropriate response in the moment, rather than what you're feeling inside that you'd like to, um, um, discipline them sometimes in ways that aren't appropriate just because you're so frustrated. Yeah. I think about it's difficult. Sasha, um, when he first mentioned interviewing you, um, I, we watched part of your Ted talk. And uh, one of the things that I really stuck with me with that Ted talk was when you said, um, you know, how do we meet the world that won't stop changing? Yeah. And 
you had talked about kind of pausing instead of rushing and reflecting in a welcoming manner and connection, you know, connection and following connection versus intensity and excitement. And I feel like that's kind of coming full circle to everything you're explaining right now. Yeah. And remember the definition of discipline, remembering what you want. So we discipline ourselves to these ways of being in the classroom and being with ourselves and being with our students, because we have to remember, what is it that I want? What is the goal here? What am I focused on? And it's easy to be invited very subtly in the relationships when we're challenged or frustrated into winning or being right or uh, just controlling things. And yes, some of that needs to be there, but we have to remember what's my, what's my deepest intention here and what are, my, what are the disciplines I'm going to use to keep me aligned with that deepest intention of both, both educating, but also managing. Cause really, and truly what, whatever data you impart in whatever topic you're teaching, that, that's the smaller part. The bigger part is you're being a mentor. You're showing the kids how to be an adult and they're going to be watching. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Uh, they're probably going to be watching more than listening to what I have to say as an educator. Absolutely. Uh, they'll be watching in between me saying and how That's right. I... and, and that matters more than what you say. Right. Doesn't mean your words aren't important. They are. Mm-hmm. And it's even more subtle. You can say something and the same words can come from some uh, very mature place in you or it can come from an immature place and they'll know the difference. Yeah. And so mostly they're going to be watching And at the end of the day, you know, those students you visited in Russia, they didn't say, I'm so glad that you taught me X, Y, and Z. What they said is, I was glad that you were the kind of person you were. Uh, I'm I'm not sure if they were talking about me, but I'll take the compliment. (laughs) No. Possibly. Why would they they say they remembered you that way? Uh, They remember teachers that way. I think that's what they, I just wasn't clear. not necessarily a me, or I didn't ask them, well, how do you remember me? But I didn't well, okay. ask them, what, what yeah. did you learn? Did you learn anything from my class? What do you remember now, 20 years, 20 years later? And but, somehow but even we, if they're making, that, even if it's a generic comment, right? you know, about what, it, why would they remember the teacher? They're not saying, I remember that you taught me trigonometry, or I remember you taught me the history of Russia. That's not what they're saying. They're saying, I remember right. the pe- these people. I remember their personhood right. and it's your personhood that you're bringing most powerfully yeah. to these children. And then the, the, the learning in the classroom is the context and the vehicle through which you're bringing your personhood, which is the thing that's going to make the biggest difference. Yeah. You know, one thing is, uh, as I, I was listening to you about talking about staying present and kind of not losing the cool and uh, staying present in the moment and a definition of a discipline the good news is, uh, to me, it's a, it's a skill. Like, no one's going to be 100% in the moment. That, that's no. impossible. I, no. I think in that not being so hard on ourselves yes. when, when we are not. Because kids will be watching that, too. Uh-huh. Because we, it's, uh, it's part of being human. You know, there are times where, as educators, we're going to lose our cool. We're going to flip our lid of off. Course. And, of course. And they're going to see what's next. Yeah. That's right. They're going to, 
you know, getting it right isn't really what teaches them anything. What teaches them mostly is how you repair what goes wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's the skill they need to learn is things mostly are kind of a mess. You know, <laughs> we, we stumble along, <laughs> we do our best and we bump into each other and do stuff. And it's how you continually correct and, um, like when you're driving, you don't just hold the steering wheel straight. You're constantly correcting. And that's, that's where the magic happens. I had a, um, a student of mine uh, years ago who had been uh, an engineer on the Apollo mission to the moon. Wow. And he said, you know, we did this thing that was a miracle by all accounts. And we had the telemetry all set. And then we created this outcome, which was quite remarkable, and it was successful. And he said, do you know how much of the time we were actually on course and following the precise plan? I said, no. He said, 7%. He said, the miracle happened with 93% of the time we're correcting. But that's pretty much like in the classroom. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You know, you're always adapting, adapting, change it. And that's what they see. Are you flexible, but stable? Mm -hmm. Are you grounded, but adaptable? Because that's what they need to learn how to be. Because especially in junior high, my God, they're not any of that. (laughs) They're being tossed about, you know, hormonally and and physically and relationally and culturally and socially and with media and everything else. And they're trying to find their ground. Uh, And so you need to be a good example of that as best you can. But it doesn't mean being perfect. You're mostly going to just do your best. But it's how you deal with the inevitables. That's the world that never stops changing bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you get good at this stuff, life doesn't suddenly become ideal. I, I, I was saying to someone the other day, when you practice, it doesn't necessarily make life more pleasant, but it makes it possible yeah yeah uh you know that that last comment reminded me i've heard you uh teaching about how to uh, it's almost like staying i've heard you said how to stay uh relaxed and alert at the same time yes that's yeah it's a unique combination of things because we know how to be alert and irritated and on edge and uh, you know um stressed but not very relaxed and we know how to relax and be disconnected but not very attentive but to do those things at the same time that's what uh, our practices help us to do whether it's meditation practice or yoga or tai chi or anything to how to be both alert and relaxed at the same time that's a pretty high that's like basically a yogic function as a teacher you know yeah (laughs) yeah that is a a, a high call i've learned through yoga yep yeah but it's it's still a foundation, you know, it's what you need to learn. And you see teachers that you think are good examples um, that really stand out. And they don't, they're not all the same kind of personality. Some of them can be quite irritating or, you know, difficult or this and that. It's not that they're uh, perfected human beings, but they're so they're dedicated and they have a capacity that works in some way, you know, Mm -hmm. and somehow the kids pick up on it and they're able to do it because they're extremely committed, they're disciplined in their way. 
just uh, to because they remember what they stand for and what they're there for, and it isn't to be liked, and it isn't um, to necessarily get their uh, satisfaction by what goes on in the classroom. It's like I say with meditation: you sit in meditation, it's not going to be necessarily pleasant. You're going to be bored. You're going to be sleepy. You're going to get anxious. You're going to worry about the 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 benefit of meditation doesn't happen when you're sitting on the meditation cushion. It happens because you sit on the meditation cushion. It happens in your life. Mm-hmm. And that's what's going to happen with teachers who realize this discipline of doing their best is, you know, it's going to be a bumpy road during the day a lot of times. But over the years and over time, they remember why they got called to this profession, why they're doing it. And... Uh, they see a little something in students here and there that makes the difference and it makes it worthwhile. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and, and joining us today. I mean, this was, this was great. Is there, uh, you know, anything, any last words, anything you'd like to add? Well, I was just thinking what a pleasure it is. Uh, and I know that it's frustrating when there's not a, um, there's not an instruction manual, you know, people come to me and say, how do I, and then fill in the blank, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and there often isn't a how to, there's everything else around surrounding the question uh, that has to be put in place so that that question can, can be answered. So I know it's a little frustrating. There isn't just a step-by-step, uh, but the ability to think about and reflect on these things in this way is really important because it doesn't get talked about very much. So I, I, I sincerely hope that it's somehow useful uh, to at least some of the listeners out there. That would be my, my greatest wish. Yeah, absolutely. It is. We, we can't wait already to uh, share the link with everyone. We will send you a link as well. So if you, uh, if you right. wish to, to hear yourself. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. It, it was very, it was beneficial. We are, you know, we're very grateful for you taking time Thank and you. sharing your, your wisdom and your experience with us. Well, yeah. sometimes I, you know, post these things for just very, I've done an interview or a video somewhere or a podcast and my students just want to hear what I'm talking about. So yeah, that's okay. I could share it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Right. Thank All right. you very much. Yes. Well, thank you so much for joining us on our episode today of Educational State of Being. So for our listeners, please uh, join us again next time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Enjoy your coffee and tea. (laughs) You You as well. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.